Hi there, I'm James, and I'll be the host of Behind the Scalpel for 2023. On the show, we hear from surgeons of all specialties and walks of life, delving into their career, wielding the scalpel, as well as looking beyond the blade. What makes them tick, and what insight can they give to aspiring surgeons? Welcome to Behind the Scalpel, I'm on, and um, it's lovely to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, so we might start with a pretty uh, just open question. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, where you're from, and what you do? Sure thing. Um, so my story is a little bit convoluted, but I'll try and give you the abridged version. So my full name's yeah, I'm on Barry Williams. I was actually born in the UK in Manchester, uh, moved across pretty quickly to New Zealand. We spent about 10 years of my life there, early primary school years, and then moved to Australia in about 2000. I'm the son of a doctor um, who he moved around a lot as part of his own training and his um, own programs and eventually my family settled down in the Northern Rivers just south of, um, south of the Gold Coast, so around Ballina, Byron Bay, um, where I spent you know, my high school years and, uh, and eventually gone to university from there. In terms of university, I went to the University of New England, so it's a rural medical school, part of the joint medical program, uh, which is in Armadale, New South Wales. And then after that, I started my internship. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard a lot about internship from lots of different mm-hmm. people, but I was uh, awarded my final preference and I ended up going to Blacktown for my first few years of work. Mm-hmm. Um, very interesting place to work, had a really good time. Certainly didn't want to be there, but we all bonded over the fact that no one wanted to be there. <laughs> but it actually made for a really good place and a good stepping stone for my career and where I'm at at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, professionally then after that, I did my first couple of years as an unaccredited registrar in Townsville then came down here to the Gold Coast and did another three years here. And then I've just started this year as SET1 in the Vassar Surgical Training Program. Awesome. Yeah, nice. um, so you did mention that your father was a doctor. Mm. Do you think that sort of influenced you to go down the road of medicine? Yeah, I think that's a really common, um, I wouldn't say necessarily misconception, but um, actually my folks encouraged me heavily to look at other career choices um, before pursuing medicine as a career. My original career that I, was in, I wanted to do was actually I wanted to become a pilot. Um, so when I was leaving school though, I know that uh, at that time for sort of social, political reasons um, that becoming a pilot wasn't really a sustainable career at that time. And so I opted to enter into medical school. Um, certainly haven't looked back since doing it, um, but I don't think that necessarily my folks had an influence in deciding what to do. But they certainly didn't ingrain to me um, the importance of work ethic and the importance of education in whatever career you pursue. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you did live uh, just outside, like, uh, Ballina, was it? Uh, yeah. And you also ended up spending a bit of time in Blacktown and up in Townsville, mm-hmm. all, you know, quite rural areas. You said that maybe you d- there wasn't your first preference to go there. Yeah. But what did you learn, uh, you know, in those places and what do you think maybe a person who is, you know, put in a yeah. similar situation could learn from it? Yeah, I think that's a really valuable thing to... to talk about because um, when I was in, so in my final two clinical years um, in medical school, I was in Newcastle. And I remember, um, I, you know, I had a couple of mates in the years above me who got in their first preference to work in Newcastle's internships, in terms of residence. And they taught me how to stack your preferences. You guys will learn about this when you start mm-hmm. applying for jobs. But we had about 15 places that we could pick from. And, um, and, you know, my buddies had taught me exactly how to stack it, and I went and shared it with all of my close friends. Mm. And at that time, Newcastle, John Hunter Hospital, wasn't a highly sought-after position. It was, it was a good hospital to work. It has every specialty under the sun, but 
wasn't necessarily one of the more popular hospitals like you have in Sydney and in Brisbane and yep. Melbourne. Um, so then when I taught all of my mates how to do it, um, lo and behold, my luck is that everyone else got the jobs in Newcastle and I managed to get my last preference, which is actually quite rare. I think only a handful of people in the state will get their last preference out of the 15 spots to choose from. Um, I mean, I, yeah, of course, I didn't want to move away from my family, my friends. I didn't know anyone in Sydney as well. But I think that the major benefit from going to Blacktown was, again, I, don't, I hate using the word resilience, but I think you do d develop a degree of adaptability. And, and whether I realized it or not at the time, um, it really did ingrain that mindset into me that you can achieve whatever you need to achieve wherever you are, irrespective of which hospital you work at, who you know, or um, where, what your level of training is as well. Yeah, I guess when you look at it, look back on it like retrospectively it has all worked out in the end you've yeah. kind of got onto the program that you wanted and you probably learnt a lot more than kind of within your comfort zone and getting outside of your comfort zone a bit yeah that's right I, I definitely do um, I mean at the time and believe me everyone faces this I, I would be lying to say that I didn't wish I got onto the training program mm. quicker than I did right um, but now in hindsight, after um, going through these years of unaccredited years and my internship and residency and moving to different hospitals, meeting different people, building amazing connections and networks with people that I could only dream of having, mm. um, having grown up in a school that had less than 30 kids in my year, um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, certainly there were times during my unaccredited years where I would be banging my head against the wall thinking, what am I doing? This is taking so much longer. Um, maybe I, I would have a better shot if I was in a big city hospital or, or you know, I knew this person or had that connection or whatever it may be. Um, but I certainly don't regret the experience that I've had so far and I think it's put me in a really good position to feel very comfortable in my first year of um, surgical training. Yeah, so obviously it's really great to have you on um, because of that unique pathway. Like we're, we, we talk a lot about here and pathways to surgery, that's, mm -hmm. that's what we are. Um, so you obviously talk about the fact that you developed resilience, but um, maybe with that different pathway to the, to the usual, are there any other skills or any other things that you could maybe give to medical students who are un like looking to undertake that pathway yeah. to try and you know focus on? Yeah, I, I think that um, I don't want to sound a little bit harsh and to the point here, but I think that there's a lot of focus on a lot of buzzwords, which is why I said before, I don't really like the term resilience mm. because I think that there's too much focus on um, your emotional aspect of it, right? Um, is that you focus on, am I gonna be stressed? Am I gonna be burnt out? Am I gonna have a social life? Will I have a work-life balance? There's a lot of whole things that people do talk about. This is just my opinion. My opinion is that you should just do the thing that you need to do every single day, irrespective of whatever it may be, right? Mm -hmm. If you have a task that you need to complete that you know is gonna help you towards your dream career, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't do everything you can that day. Whether it's just a small part of it, whether you just start writing the sentence or the you know downloading the file you know background for your poster that you're going to present at a conference, or even just signing up to a conference or figuring out what conferences are even on. Just very small things. If you do everything, these sorts of things every single day incrementally, then you'll achieve the end goal. Which ultimately, the point of this is to get you onto surgical training. Yeah. Um, and I'm confident that um, if you if can apply those that sort of mindset, then absolutely anyone can get onto surgical training. I'm certainly not someone who is. I wouldn't consider myself incredibly bright. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a there's again uh, not stigma, but I guess people look at subspecialty surgical training doctors and registrars. 
that they are in some other league, that they've got some other talent or that they, or perhaps there's even luck that's involved in all this process. I don't believe in any of that. I think that if you just work towards what is required for the training program in all aspects, then you'll get there in the end. Mm. Yeah, because interesting that you mentioned that because I think some people get stuck in trying to look too far into the future. Mm. Like surgical training is 10 years away. Mm. How am I going to be able to survive that? And it's interesting, like you just got to think about in the present every day. Yeah. What can you do each day to get better? That's right. And I think the more important question for you, if you're pursuing a career in surgery, and I know we're trying to motivate people to do surgery, mm. but you really need to ask yourself, why do you want to do it? Um, that is the biggest question because in the end, I mean, look, lots of guys and girls do surgical training for all sorts of reasons, whether it's because they like the, the feeling that they get from being, you know, the operator in theater, they like the, you know, the, um, you know, assumed um, power that you might get from a position of being a surgeon in a hospital, or they like the fact that you might get a good income, whatever it may be. But in the end, if, if you don't have a good enough why and you're not, you don't believe your why strong enough, you'll really struggle in specialties like vascular surgery where you might be awake at times for 72 hours straight and you don't sleep, you don't see your family, you don't eat or drink, okay? You might have times where you have your patients that you've looked after for months and months on the ward and built a strong relationship with them and then you go to see them and you need to palliate them, okay? Or you have your patient that has had an elective operation who's otherwise functional from home and has a massive stroke on the operating table, right? And you'll then really begin to question yourself as to why am I doing this? And if your why is strong enough to get you through those sorts of times in your life, then I think that pursuing a career in surgery is a really worthwhile endeavor. But I feel the same for any other specialty medicine as well. You should still be able to answer that question. Mm. Um, I know that a lot of people talk about backups for surgery and backup careers. I don't believe in backups. Mm. Okay? I think that if you want to do something and you're committed enough to do it, then you should continue to pursue it. Um, and I know there's the three, three strikes you're out rule now with surgical training when you apply for the program. Sure, if you get three strikes and you don't get on, you need to think, is this specialty of career something that I feel convicted enough to even move overseas and do it? Or go to, go to another center or go to another country, whatever it may be to pursue that career. If you feel that passion strongly enough, then you should pursue a career in surgery. Okay. Yeah, so you mentioned there were moments in, throughout your process where you're kind of banging your head against the wall and you know frustrated, what am I doing? What was your why? Like what, what, what kept you going yeah. throughout that whole time? So I, I fell into a, a job which I was, I was very lucky to have, basically. Um, and I know this might sound a little bit Stockholm Syndrome-ish, and I think people will hear the story and think, what is this guy? Like, what is this guy doing? Yeah. But this is my reason. Again, this is just my experience. I'm not saying that you need to go seek your own experience like this, but this is just what happened with me. Um, when I was a, a resident medical officer, so I didn't know I wanted to do vascular surgery. I knew I wanted to do some form of surgery. In fact, I was leaning more towards plastic surgery. I'd done nothing really towards working towards it. I just had this sort of idea that I wanted to be a plastic surgeon. Okay. And then I ended up doing a term, I won't name the hospital, but it was this hospital in Sydney uh, where I worked in the vascular surgical unit. I had never had any experience in vascular surgery before. I had not rotated through it. I had not done it as a medical student. It was my first term there. Now, I was there as a, as a resident on the team. There was three teams in this department, and all teams were incredibly busy. Um, when I arrived, I realized that my team didn't have a registrar, so I was the most senior doctor on my team at my second year out of medical school but also I didn't have any other junior doctors on my team. Um, and I'd found out that the, my predecessor had actually quit basically on mental health leave because of how 
ridiculous the job was. Um, the job was involved me working for perhaps up to 16 hours plus every day. I would find myself sleeping at hospital quite often. I would sleep in my car. I still remember a, a really sad day where I brought a frozen meal to work thinking I would have time to eat lunch. And then I ate it the next day, still frozen because I didn't have time to go and buy yeah, well. it. And I was just, you know, I was just stuffed and broken, right? Not to, you know, add uh, fuel to the fire here. Yeah. I also had a, a couple of mentors, well, not mentors, I won't call them mentors, but people that worked in my department, uh, much, much, much more senior than me, who were perhaps the biggest bullies I've ever worked with. Mm. Um, I had a really awful experience with them and I wouldn't wish that upon any of my, you know, worst enemies to go and have that sort of experience. And I remember doing that for about, yeah, about eight or nine weeks straight. Um, and there was, you know, I was not sleeping, I was not eating, lost a huge amount of weight, just super demotivated. And eventually, you know, this person had said something to me which was, you know, particularly confronting. And I just decided then and there that I was actually going to quit. I just decided that I'm not going to, not going to do this right. Um, so I went up to my head of department's office, and when I walked in there. Um, I found uh, all the other registrars that were in the department. It's a pretty big department. They were all sitting in the in the office with the head of the department. Now, mind you, I, I've been so busy doing the rotation, I didn't see these guys. I didn't meet mm. them. I like fleeting glimpses in the corridor and sometimes talking to them about theatre patients, but otherwise not really any involvement. They didn't help me. I didn't help really help them to what I perceived, right? And then the head of the department, he called me and he's just like, oh, I'm a, come in, come in, come in. Um, we were just talking about you. You know, I've gone in there like, you know, my chest sort of puffed out, ready to actually throw in the towel with probably medicine at that time, or at least take a, you know, a good amount of time off work. Mm. Um, and they were like, yeah, look, we were just talking about you. Um, the other registrars here, they just were commending how hard you work and, you know, your approach to the patients and what a team player you are. And, um, and they're just really impressed with your work. And I'm thinking to myself in the back of my mind, like, I haven't seen any of these guys, right? I've not, I don't feel like I've been working with them. I've been working my ass off with all these patients, um, with all these, you know, different tasks that have been putting put upon me. I'm stressed all the time. And they're saying that they are commending me for my work. And so I was a bit confused. And then they mentioned to me that, hey, look, we also wanted to say that we're all well and truly aware of the bullying that's going on. I just want to let you know that the others have been experiencing the same thing and look, we're going to take things into our own hands and we're going to make sure that this gets escalated and it stops. And I'll, like, I, I, I know it's a lot better in the Gold Coast work environments and, and maybe other city hospitals, but that was the first time I worked in a hospital where I'd actually gotten some form of almost, you know, encouragement that we were being, even though I didn't have to say anything, but I felt like I was being listened to already and that mm. someone was noticing, not only just noticing the sort of plight that I was going through, but also noticing hard work, right? I didn't think I was working hard. I was just working as much as I could to survive the job, basically. Um, but then just before I left, and I was, at that point I decided, okay, I'll stay, right? My head of department said to me, look, we really think that you should consider seriously pursuing a career in vascular surgery. Mm. And to me, like that was just, and I know it might sound silly, but to me that was just like a switch flicked, basically. I just had this new, I guess, approach to work, and I just had this new enjoyment of, and to complete utter fulfillment from being at work then. Mm. And then for me, turning up to work and spending 16, 17, 18 hours of work every day for the rest of that term, didn't feel like work. It just felt like you were going there to actually have a really good time with a group of people who then I got to know quite well in the final few weeks, who were all very like-minded to me. 
um, but also they had lots of values that I, uh, that I aspire to still, um, and I still look at them as mentors to me, where they're some of the most humble, hardworking, um, morally ethical and sound guys and girls that I've ever met in my life. Um, and so I always just thought, I want to be like these guys. This is who I want to model my career after, and this is who I want to be, become as a person. And so, um, so then after that experience, you know, I applied for my first job as a registrar in Townsville as a throwaway. I found the ad on Google. I didn't think <laughs> I was going to get it. I actually went there yeah. on a holiday trying to just get a bit of time away from work in geriatrics at the time. Yeah. And, uh, and I got offered the job on the day that I, I did the interview mm. um, and then haven't looked back since. Yeah, so it's kind of like a flipping the switch sort of moment that you felt like alone. Yeah. with everyone no no support and then suddenly you actually realize there are a lot of people in the same sort of boat yeah they want to support you yeah and it's totally reinvented your way of thinking about vascular surgery yeah absolutely and i mean i can't say that i've had that experience everywhere that i've been right i've definitely worked with people registrar's bosses whoever it may be who have not had the same drive and that's okay that's fine but i still take that approach that i have with these people and i've really tried to build upon it to make sure that when i go into work now not only am I doing my very best for the team and for the patients, but I'm also doing my absolute best to make sure that whoever we're teaching and you know guiding through um, the next generation of you know, medical students coming through, that you guys have the same experience or at least start thinking that you need to have that experience, right? Because I think that that for, and for me is the biggest, was the biggest answer to my why, is that why am I doing this? It's because I want to be like these guys. It's because I want to do good, I, because I want to actually be fulfilled in my career. Um, and so I, it, it honestly has helped me through some of the darkest of times in surgical training applications and you know dealing with difficult patients and difficult um, clinical situations. And so, I mean, it, it's become my sort of, you know, get out of jail free card um, per se, um, if I'm having trouble at any point in my day. So. Yeah, awesome. Um, is there a specific part of vascular surgery, like the actual work, which interests you? Uh, or like which did interest you a lot and you thought maybe this is the reason I want to go into vascular surgery or was it really just you know you found this you had this really hard experience and then moved through it and thought you know I could I could pursue a career in it yeah well that's exactly it does the latter I to me I look I love vascular surgery I love every aspect of it the fact that to me now the surgeries and the patients that you meet and mm. the pathologies that you deal with are the, literally the cherry on top mm. but for me is it is the community that you work with is that it sounds kind of cliche, but you find your people, you find a group of people that you just get on with so well that um, you then they can relate to the stressfulness of the job, they can relate to the complexity of the job, but um, also they share very similar values just in work and in life. And so some of my best friends have come from, in fact, the majority of my best friends in recent years after leaving medical school have come from vascular surgery. Yeah. Um, and that's a factor of spending time with them, but also just, again, that like-mindedness. And mm. I do believe that like attracts like. If you go and, and you portray this or you are this person that you want to be, then you will attract other people who are very similar to you. Um, so I've been very fortunate in that so far in my career. Mm. Yeah, I think some students, especially when they start doing placements at med school, they do their rotations and they're kind of deciding their specialty based on the people that they're around mm. like they might have a very shocking reg or consultant that just makes the specialty seem horrible absolutely yeah. um and that might just turn them off of it mm. um so yeah i think yeah the people around you really kind of decide what specialty yeah. you do want to go to yeah. um just a bit of a side question mm. about vascular surgery what's one of the craziest sort of surgeries you've been part of 
Oh, look, it's <laughs> it's a bit difficult to um, to answer that because I I look at all of them as pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, we deal with a lot of um, different types of pathology across the entire body, basically, and it's really good because. You know, you're needed by pretty much every other surgical specialty, everyone that has bleeding problems or lack of bleeding problems. Yeah. But the bad thing is, or maybe bad in some people's eyes, is that you're needed by every specialty. So you're always really, really busy. Um, look, I, I, I won't go into this, you know, the minutiae of some of the crazy procedures, but you know, we get called to things like, you know, massive multi-traumas. We get called to ruptured triple A's where I mean, one of the coolest things I've ever done, which was on the Gold Coast here, was that um, I, my boss was uh, was coming in and um, and we had to make a decision about the patient if they, and I, I was thinking I was in my fourth year of work or fifth year of work. And um, the, we had to make a call about the patient going to the operating theater and they were so unstable in the helicopter ride that they couldn't um, make the decision down the emergency um, resuscitation bay. They wanted to take the patient either to ED or to directly to theater and they needed someone to make that decision. And I happened to be the most senior uh, yeah. surgical doctor in vascular surgery in the hospital at that time. And so I remember going up with the security guys onto the chopper pad and um, they're opening the doors and the chopper landing and I'm trying to play it cool and like quickly sneak in a couple of selfies and like <laughs> loving life. And then when the chopper lands, you try and look cool and then yeah. uh, walk out of the chopper and try and talk, you know, like you know what you're doing. But that was to me one of the most awesome moments of my, um, of, um, you know, and that wasn't even the operating room. And then mm. we got the patient to the theater and then the patient had a good outcome and it was just a great time, right? Um, mm. But yeah, we deal with so much crazy stuff. It would be really difficult for me to um, to pinpoint one moment. Um, but certainly, I have. You know, there's been plenty of times where you've been in the operating room and you have, whether you're the most senior person there or you're assisting with the boss, and it's not uncommon that you have a butt clenching moment where you think, "Oh my God, like what is going yeah. on here?" Mm. But the beauty of vascular surgery is that it is something that you get so used to dealing with stressful situations on such a regular basis um, uh, that you get sort of ingrained into you that always have not just a plan A, B, C, but D all the way through to Z, right? You've got so many backup plans in your mind that you're thinking about. I think the sort of the real masters of the career at the moment and the bosses that I really look up to are the guys and girls who can actually do that um, all the way to the end of, you know, through this massive list of potential possibilities um, that they're prepared to adapt to. And you might even notice something's going wrong in an operation. Um, and they've already dealt with the problem um, immediately without really freaking out the rest of the room. Yeah. Yeah. As it is such a high stress job um, and you're working so hard all the time, mm. what do you do to kind of, you know, yeah. take that stress off? Yeah. Yeah. So again, this might sound a little bit different to other people. Um, I don't really have um, a way to de-stress uh, because I mean, the stress is situational. So I think that once you remove that stressor, then you're okay, right? And you kind of learn to function under stress as well. Mm. Um, so I don't have like a thing where I, I like I must go and meditate or I must go and read a book or I must go do whatever. Um, I kind of have rough rules in my life which I try to follow just to make sure that I, you know, can keep myself healthy and fit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that probably that helps to a degree where like you know I try every day to get in some form of exercise. I try every day to do some form of study or reading or whatever that's going to help me towards my career um i actually find that to be honest quite relaxing um i don't look at study and reading a textbook or anything as a chore that's just something that i enjoy and and if it's a career that you're going to be doing for the rest of your life 
and you're passionate enough about it, then it really doesn't feel like you're working. Um, but um, but I mean, look, my brother as well. He's in he's in medicine too, and so we often you know, we fire a Call of Duty not yep. commonly. Um, and I've got mates down yeah down south in Newcastle and things that we you know we play video games and yeah. we, we talk on the phone and you know lots of different things that mm. do. But I don't look at it like a, I must go do yeah. something to de-stress. Um, but I find in the stressful times the best way to deal with it is actually just talking with someone, um, mm. whether or not you're realizing that you're dealing with the problem or not. Um, just talking with your colleagues who understand the situation, it can just lend you a helpful ear, is often the best way to get through those stressful times. Mm. And because you mentioned as well that you actually do like doing the surgeries and stuff, that's why I guess some people that they're really burnt out and overworked, mm. that's why they need those stress reliefs, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. And again, like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, this is again my opinion, but with things like burnout and um, and the stress of work and things, yeah, I understand that physically you cannot keep grinding. Like you can't keep grinding. Like I was in doing my ridiculous hours in Sydney, um, but you do have to accept that surgical training does require a degree of that sort of behaviour. Um, you. The, I mean, we could talk about all these different types. There's really topical um, safe work hours and things like that with the College of Surgeons, but there's a, quite a firm understanding that you need to put in the hours of work to then become, uh, you know, a functional member of that team or be able to perform at a level that is going to be safe for your patients, but also um, good enough for a surgical training program, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then if you have issues with burnout or issues with, you know, managing stress or whatever it may be and, and you find that you're not coping, then it's actually a good time to really rethink your mm -hmm. career trajectory. You cannot, you cannot do that for the rest of your life. Um, I'm fortunate that I found something that I really, really, truly enjoy, but not everyone will have that. And it's, that's why it's so important to come back to your why. Why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. okay. Can I ask you, if you've, have you always been like that? Have you always, like, back to medical school, even high school, have you always been someone who, you know, really likes to work hard and, you know, you oh, said the, no, no. no. <laughs> I'll just, like, I'll tell you away. So, like, I grew up in, like, just outside of Ballina. It's, yeah. like, the most laid-back place that you could ever imagine. Um, even now, like, you know, my, I think a lot of my colleagues and things think that I take a very laid-back approach to work. Um, I might have a demeanor where I'm laid back at work, or but I am constantly thinking, I'm constantly sort of assessing situations and looking at ways that I can improve and ways that I can make a situation better for myself or other people, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I wouldn't say I've always been like that, but like I said, my old man and my mum as well, um, you know, I owe it to them. They really ingrained to me the importance of hard work. Mm. I used to really hate when they used to force me to go study. I found it really difficult to do that sort of stuff. I found it, I really hated studying in medical school, especially topics which I just wasn't interested in. Mm. Um, believe it or not, I had no interest in surgery when I was in medical school. Yeah. Um, I was not a member of my surgical society. I hated going to the anatomy pro sections because I didn't like the smell. Um, they're just like, yeah. like, and it was always late at night and just like dingy lighting and you know, just things like that. Um, yeah. So no, I haven't always been like that, but I've certainly been um, maybe to some people's, uh, I guess, uh, it, it, I know it can be a bit irritating sometimes, but I do find, take a very glass half full kind of approach to mm. everything. I try to look for the good in every situation and look at what can I do to fill that glass up even more. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Behind the Scalpel. Make sure to follow us on Instagram or Facebook to keep up with the latest news. 
See you next time, either on our next episode or at one of Sergio's upcoming events.